You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Venezia, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. We discover in chapter 33, Jacob bows low before Esau, and he's seeking mercy, and he's prostrate before his brother Esau. So what's the point? Truly, the path of sin is hard, and the pleasure of sin is never worth the price that must be paid for it. So that's what we learn from Jacob, and therein lies the fault of Jacob. No matter how many times we might trick ourselves into thinking that sin is worth it, we're often quick to learn just how wrong we were. In some cases, it can even take several years before we're met with a serious problem, only for us to know exactly what sin caused it. In today's message, Pastor Mike reflects on the sin of Jacob's deception catching up to him. In his study, you'll learn just how detrimental it can be when we decide to take the matters of God into our own hands and act upon our own will. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of Genesis chapter 27 as he continues his message, Talk About a Dysfunctional Family. You see, it's at this point where Isaac is broken. He had, been, he had come to the point of realizing that he had been sparring with God, but now he had just received the knockout blow, if you will, right? He has been soundly defeated. And listen, if you try to go up against God, you're going you're gonna to receive that same kind of a knockout blow as did Isaac. And then your testimony will be, even as it was of Isaac, and I have blessed him, and indeed he shall be blessed. Acknowledging the fact that God is sovereign, and that his plan shall always, and his word shall always be fulfilled. Okay, so that's Isaac, a cautionary tale. But now let's go on in our cast of characters, and this brings us to our second point, and that would be Rebecca. Okay, so who's Rebecca? What's she all about? What do we learn from her? Well, first of all, let me say, that it's been said, and I quote, a home usually take, uh, takes on its characteristic from the mother. And, that's what, and it's been suggested that to be true. Well, and I don't know if that's true or not. I, I know that it's true in, in some cases. But if, it, if that's the case, she must have really been some kind of a mother some kind of a wife, some kind of a woman. Because within this family, 
as we've already begun to realize there's friction, there's distrust, there's underhandedness. Obviously, no one in this family trusted each other. I mean, it's easy to figure that out. And let me ask you the question, where did this suspicion come from? Well, I would draw your attention back to verse 5 of our text. Here's a clue. Rebecca is listening at the keyhole to Isaac's and Esau's conversation, right? There's mom, right? Standing behind the door, uh, listening to everything that they're plotting to, to do. Listen, it must have been a difficult family experience with this woman a part of the family. Maybe some of you can relate to that. Maybe some of you had a mom that was exactly like that. But Rebecca's real failure is of the spiritual sort. Yes, she was right in clinging to the promise of God concerning her favorite son, Jacob, over Isaac's favorite, Esau. But you see, as I've already suggested, she failed to trust God to bring that to pass in his own timing, in his own way. You see, she had no right to do evil, that good may come of it, seeking to deceive her husband, Isaac. And notice, having pursued her own way, only bad followed. Jump ahead, if you would, to verse 41. Verses 41 through 44. So Esau hated Jacob, you know, after this whole thing played out, and rather than him receiving the blessing, it was bestowed upon Jacob. So Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, the days of mourning for my father are at hand. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. So he's swearing an oath here. What was that, which was tantamount to when my father Isaac dies, I'm going to kill my brother Jacob. And remember, Esau is a man of the field. He's a real man's man. He was a kind of a guy that, most of us as men would like to identify with, whereas Jacob is a mama's boy, you know, tied to his mother's apron strings, right? And uh, when Jacob got news of the fact that his brother was going to kill him as, as soon as his dad Isaac died, he was probably shaking in his boots, right? But he swore an oath. And then in verse 42, and the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. And so she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Surely your brother Esau comforts himself concerning you by intending to kill you. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice, arise, flee to my brother Laban and Haran, and stay with him a few days until your brother's fury turns away. So, and we'll get into this in our, some of our future studies. From this point on, 20 years of unexpected exile for Jacob of which he wasn't prepared. And as I've already mentioned, he was a sheltered mama's boy. And now think about, think about Rebecca. Her, her, her favorite son is now absent from her for 20 years. He was sent to his uncle Laban's house. And Laban, man, I tell you, what an interesting character study he is. You know, talk about Jacob being the supplanter and the deceiver. And uh, Jacob just got his just deserves when he met up with this guy. And uh, he's like the ultimate... Used car salesman, if you will, <laughs> Laban. And uh, we'll get to him later on in one of our future 
uh, studies. Well, you know, we shouldn't be surprised by that. If you sow to the flesh, you'll reap corruption, right? Whatsoever man sows, that also shall he reap. And so if you think about it, Rebecca and Jacob were just reaping what they had sown. And so it is. These are laws that govern uh, the universe. Listen, gang, if you're not trusting God, trying to do your own thing, trying to do your own will, and not God's will, or you're trying to do his will, but doing it in your own way, plottings of sin never work out. And the path of disobedience is always rocky. Let me give you a classical example of this. It's found in the book of Exodus in chapter 2. So all you got to do is go ahead to one book of the Bible, if you would. Follow with me and open with me quickly to Exodus chapter 2 in verses 11 through 15. Let me set this up for you. This is Moses. And uh, the story that's recorded here for us is the killing of the Egyptian taskmaster. And, uh, you know, there was this impression that Moses, and, and I believe it was an impression that was given to him by God, that he was going to be God's people, Israel's deliver, deliverer, that is from Egypt, from their bondage in Egypt. And it was true. But what God wanted to do through Moses wasn't going to happen at this particular time. It, it was going to come to pass sometime in the near future. Well, I don't even know if it was the near future. So Moses took things into his own hands. You say, how's that? Well, let's pick up in verse 11 of chapter 2. Now it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown that he went out to his brethren and looked at their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian, one of the taskmasters, beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. So he looked this way and that way, made sure that no one was around. No one could be an eyewitness of what was about to take place. And when he saw no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. Okay, so at this point, he thought, okay, news is going to get out and back to the other Jews, my other brethren. And this is sort of going to be a rallying uh, point amongst the people uh, for me to be their leader, to lead them out of this bondage, right? That this would be the beginning of a revolution. And, uh, and, and that's what he thought. He was absolutely persuaded that that's the way the things were going to play out. But to his surprise, we read on, and then he went out the second day, and behold, two Hebrew men were fighting, and he said to the one who did the wrong, why are you striking your companion? And then he said, so rather than them rallying behind, right, Moses, right, at this, at this point, he, they cried out, who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you intend to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? And so Moses feared and said, surely this thing is known. And when Pharaoh heard of this matter, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. You know, it wasn't until another 40 years later that God recommissioned him. Remember the burning uh, bush out in the wilderness? Some 40 years from what we read here in chapter 2 to him actually being commissioned by God and then being sent to Pharaoh to stand before him to demand that he let God's people go. That's what happens when you take things into your own hands. They're never, you're never justified. 
by what you do, particularly when you turn to sin to do it. So Moses is a classical example of this. So plottings of sin, here's the bottom line, never work out. And the path of disobedience is always a rocky one. So that's Rebecca. Don't be a Rebecca. Now that brings us to our third character study, and that would be Jacob. Okay, so where is his fault? Why do we fault him? Well, Jacob, and this is our third point, he submitted to this deceitful scheme. And he adds to it by lying to his blind father and even dragging the name of God into this deception. Remember when Isaac asks the question, when trying to figure out exactly who it was that was standing uh, before him, notice there in verse 20, he says, uh, how is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? And he said, because the Lord your God brought it to me. That was a flat-out lie. You know, how many times do we bring God into our deception? Oh, I swear to God, you know. Oh, yeah, what I'm doing, I swear to God. You know, God made me do it. And we, we make him a party of our wrongdoing. You see, that's what he was doing. He was dragging the name of God into his deception. You know, the blessing that Jacob stole said, it was a part of it, remember, we've already read it, that he was to be Lord over his brothers, and that the sons of his mother were to bow down to him. We've already read that portion of Scripture, right? But later on, and we'll come to this when we move on here in our series, in Genesis chapter 33, as Jacob is on the run, he's fleeing for his life, news had come back to him that Esau is catching up and he has with him 400 armed men. He was going to make good on the oath that he had sworn to take Jacob's life and the lives of his family. So as Esau is about to catch up with Jacob, before Esau ever bows to Jacob, which was a part of the patriarchal blessing, we discover in chapter 33, Jacob bows low before Esau, and he's seeking mercy, and he's prostrate before his brother Esau. So what's the point? Truly, the path of sin is hard, and the pleasure of sin is never worth the price that must be paid for it. So that's what we learn from Jacob. And therein lies the fault of Jacob. Now that brings us to our last character study, and that would be Esau, okay, who agreed to his father's plan to bless him secretly. Esau knew what was going on here. He tried to get the drop on his brother Jacob, only to find that he was outwitted by his mom, Rebekah, and his younger brother, Jacob. You know, when, when I think of this guy, Esau, I just think of a big lummox. You know what I mean? Kind of a guy, and uh, just really out there. He's just all muscle, no brains, you know, kind of a guy. And uh, that's the kind of a guy that when I think about Esau, I don't know, that's the kind of picture that comes to mind. Now, it's awfully hard, granted, not to sympathize with Esau when we read, for example, after he had just gotten ripped off 
uh, by his brother Jacob. Notice in verse 34, let's go back to chapter 27 and verse 34. When Esau heard the words of his father, he cried with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, bless me, bless also, oh, my father. And then jump ahead to verse 36. And Esau said, is he not rightly named Jacob? For he had supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright. And now look, he has taken away my blessing. And he said, have you not reserved the blessing for me? And, you know, you read that and you want to comfort, you want to like grab this big lummox and, you know, hug him, right? You kind of feel sorry for him. But this is not a wise thing to do, folks. This is not the way the Bible teaches us to regard Esau's plight. We're not called upon to sympathize with Esau, but rather we are to learn from him. You say, how's that? Well, in the book of Hebrews, in chapter 12, in verses 15 through 17, and in this portion of scripture, we're encouraged to stay close to the Lord, to come back to the Lord looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance though he sought diligently with tears. So Esau's life is a warning. Yes, God is extremely gracious. He's forever tempering justice with mercy. Nevertheless, there are choices in life that cannot be undone and consequences of sin that are thereafter unavoidable. Listen, if you read, here's the bottom line. And this is what we learned from Esau. If you reject the grace of God in Christ now, let's say, for example, in a a service like this one, when the word of God, the anointed word of God, is going forth across this pulpit, and you know in your heart that God is speaking to you in a very matter-of-fact way, and he's put that, he put his hand on that area of your life that you know needs to be treated, that sin, and he exposes it. He doesn't expose it to the entire group that's here, but you know that he's become, that he has privileged information concerning you. And man, it's like a, you know, a ton of bricks just fell upon you. And you know that God is speaking to you. You feel as if you're the only person in this room. And every time I point, it seems like I'm pointing right at you and in your direction. And God's got your number. Listen, it, this is, and it happens. If you reject the grace of God in Christ now, who knows if your heart will ever be in that same softened position to do so later. You know, you're walking, you just kind of blow it off. You say to yourself, oh, yeah, I know God is speaking to me. And, ah, you know, I'm going to get around to it one day. And then you just kind of walk out the back door. And you know how we are. We forget about what God has even spoken to us in his service. I'm amazed, you know, uh, uh, you know, and I always do this to my kids, and they probably hate me doing this, but uh, I'll, I'll, sometime during the week, you know, I'm always in contact with my kids. My kids are over, always over at my house. We're always FaceTiming. We're on the phone. I'm over at their house. They all live, you know, within a, a, you know, just a few blocks, really, of each other. 
And so, uh, you know, I'll always say, so uh, what did you learn last Sunday in the Sunday service? And, uh, and I'll say, you know, what were we talking about? And usually they'll come back and they'll say, you know, which is a broad response, oh, you were talking about God. No, 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 let's, okay, okay. Well, let's get into the details. What were we talking about? So they stop. We, and, you know, I'm not just fault. I'm just using them as an example, and I apologize, kids, for using you as an example. But we, the point is, is that we all forget. There are times when, you know, someone will come back to me and they'll say, uh, like, a week after, and they'll say, you know, last Sunday's message really spoke to me. And then I just pause for a moment, and they're going on, and they're talking about, you know, what how God spoke to them and what was going on. And I'm trying to think, what? I, I don't even remember what text we were in. So I'm just as guilty as anyone else. So the point is, is don't walk out that door without making the necessary adjustments. Commit your life. Give yourself over. Let God have his, do his full work in you before you walk out that back door, right? So if we reject the grace of God in Christ now, who knows if your heart will ever be in that same softened position to do so later to turn to him. And that's why in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, it says today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your heart. Right? Today is the day of your salvation. So if you reject the word in some manner, in some area, you know to be wrong, who knows if you will ever have another opportunity to make the wrong right and avoid the consequences. And I would remind you, it's always consequences. You can't get around it. The soul who sinneth shall surely die. If you sow to the flesh, you're going to reap corruption. There's no way. The wages of sin is death. You're going to pay the consequences. There are penalties that are, that are uh, attached to that. So the point is, with Esau, tears didn't mean nothing. Esau wept, notice there in verse 34, but his tears were of frustrated selfishness and not of genuine regret for wrongs committed. The only true repentance is a turning from sin unto God to do exactly what he desires. But remember, again, what we're talking about, this dysfunctional family. God doesn't want, although he has, unfortunately, and I'm one of them, Right? He, but he doesn't want any dysfunctional members in his family. It is sin that is at the root of a dysfunctional life. And God is in the business of dealing with our sin. So anyway, can you relate to any of these biblical characters? I'm sure you can. I can relate to all of them in one way or another. God help us. God purge us. God strengthen us. God, perfect your work. Continue to work in our lives, perfecting that work. And uh, God, help us to learn these lessons that are served up for us here in this text of Scripture. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long. You've been listening to Pastor Mike Fenizio here on In My Father's House. He is working his way through the book of Genesis. If you were blessed by today's message and want to pass along the blessing, you can find a link to give to the ministry on our website, harvestnyc.org. 
We have so much available to you there, including many audio messages and links to streamed messages. We stream every Sunday and Thursday service. Once again, that's harvestnyc.org. Another way to pass along the blessing is to share the messages with someone else. Maybe God put someone on your heart today as you listened. You can send them the links as well. In My Father's House is a ministry out of Harvest Christian Fellowship in Midtown Manhattan, New York City. We're easy to find, with access from Port Authority on 42nd and Penn Station on 34th. Come by and see us. But if you're from another part of the country or world, we'd love to know. Please send us a quick note at harvestnyc at verizon.net. That's harvestnyc at verizon.net. It's a great encouragement to Pastor Mike and the team at In My Father's House to hear where these messages are being listened to. There is nothing more beautiful than the global body of Christ. If you'd like to hear more, subscribe to our podcast for daily doses of the word. Just go to Spotify and search for In My Father's House with Mike Venizio. And then just click follow. Well, we have filled our time for today. Come back and see us again, because there's no better place to be than in my Father's house with you. 